So I was reading a Bible story last night. I have this picture story Bible. It's kind of like graphic novel style, but it's pretty old. I would, my guess would be 70s or 80s is when it came out. And the reason I have it is because my grandma would read it to me every single time I went and stayed the night at her house. And I've wanted it for years. I couldn't quite remember what it looks like, but when they moved to Tennessee a couple years ago, we found it. And so now it's mine. And I've been reading it with Isaiah at night. And let me tell you, they don't hold anything back in that picture storybook Bible. I mean, we're in the Old Testament and we're getting into the Kings and there's a whole lot of like warfare that's pretty gruesome and it does not hold back at all. I think Zay actually really likes it, but it's very action packed. Let's just say that they do not hold back. But I was reading this story and Anyone remember the Bible story where the Israelites make a golden calf and worship it when they're in the wilderness? Well, come to find out, I've read my Bible through a couple of times, right? But I never, I didn't remember this Bible story where they come back a few centuries later and a new king decides to build not one, but two golden calves. And I just put the book down and I'm like, didn't they learn about this the first time around? Why are they doing this? Why did they do this? It's horrible. Well, I hear about it again. They make these two cows, so it's not holy cow anymore. It's holy cows. That's where we get the saying from, right? Well, you'd think they'd learn the first time, but they don't. It's kind of like when I wonder why I can never get ahead and my budget and savings and all my financial plans that I want to do, but I've eaten out every day last week. Or I stopped by the coffee shop way too often. And you know, it's like, you can get a meal at McDonald's for the same price. You can get a latte at a coffee shop. You know what I'm talking about? And who knows what you could buy at the grocery store if you just spent it there instead. But I eat out every day in the last week. It's like, I'm tempted to wonder sometimes, why is God not providing for what I think he should be providing for? But then I realized that the money he provided for me, I drank down at Starbucks or I ate at Taco Bell, or I ordered DoorDash for those really good like potato wedges from Buffalo 61. So good. Chicken bacon ranch, Buffalo potato wedges. They're amazing. But guess what? Kyle also makes them at home. Way cheaper, but I DoorDash it. Why do I do this? So I throw my money at my cravings instead of investing the money into some groceries and some time spent cooking. But it's easier to just make a golden cow right? It's easier to just make a golden cow than to worship a God or trust in a God that I can't see. So I keep worshiping the convenient and the safe and the shiny, and I keep repeating the same mistakes over again. So for me, it's food and convenience, but for you, it might be shoes. It might be like my shoes. For you, it might be shoes, it might be clothes, it could be just generally shopping, window shopping that turns into not so much window shopping, you know what I'm talking about, or cars, or video games, or gadgets, or spending money on your kids, or vacations that go way over budget if you even had a budget for the vacation in the first place. So why is this so hard? Why does this cause us tension? Well, the world that we live in has turned money into a God. The devil has convinced us to trust in what we see rather than what God says. Remember the very first sin started with the very first temptation and it was this. 
Did God really say that? Look at this shiny, pretty fruit. Doesn't it look good? And it said, and Eve noticed, it looked good. (laughs) She noticed what it looked like, and it seemed appealing, and the devil was questioning what God really said. So the devil's convinced us to trust in what we see rather than what God says. And we have allowed God or have allowed fear and instant gratification to be our ruler instead of delaying the gratification for a little bit longer or choosing to live in trust in God rather than in fear. So you guys asked for a message on money. Did you know that? When we did our Easter survey, it was like top two Money, money stress. How do I manage my finances? What does God have to say about finances? So you asked for it. That's why it's called, that's the series title. You asked for it, right? And it's one of the topics pastors rarely ever preach on, but it was at the top of the list as stressors or barriers to knowing God. And it's really important actually because fighting about money is in the top two reasons, maybe the top, why couples divorce, fighting over money. It's why marriages fail. So if I get to preach on such an uncomfortable but important topic, I'm going to ask you to join me in asking some uncomfortable but important questions today. Because the Bible actually has a lot to say on the topic of money. And what's important to God is important to us. Amen? So we just like to skip these parts about money in the Bible, it seems like, when it comes to applying them to our lives. Like we might talk about them or whatever, but when it comes to applying them to our lives, we like to skip it for some reason. So what does God say we should do with our money? What's the godly way to handle it? Is it even possible in today's economy and with the inflation rates going crazy, is it even possible to live stress-free around money? You might be like, well, in Jesus' day... They didn't have this current economic situation. No, they had the Roman Empire breathing down their necks to kick their family out of their houses if they didn't pay inflated taxes. (laughs) That's what they had going on. It was actually probably higher pressure than what we even have going on right now. And they still talked about it. So I know some of you today are just like 11 or 12 years old. I don't want you to tune out because I started these principles at like five years old. Some of these principles, my parents started instilling in me that young. Parents, take notes for how you can start instilling these principles into your kids. I know some of you are maybe widows or widowers or living on SSI or disability. I know that there's a lot of different financial situations in this room. Don't tune out. Jesus has something to say. The word of God has something to say in every situation. I know some of you are legitimately living beneath the poverty line. Been there. (laughs) When me and Kyle first got married, our income was technically below the poverty line. And then maybe you're making good money, but you're just mismanaging it and you don't know where it goes by the end of the week. You have no clue why we can't get ahead on our debt payments or our savings or why all the money is gone. Whatever it is, there's something for you in this today. And we prayed in prayer this morning that whatever it is that God wants you to hear, that you're ready and open and available to hear what it is he wants you to hear today. So today my goal is to show you that money does not have to rule over you. Money does not have to rule over you. That instead of working for money, you can make your money work for God. Now most people say, Instead of working for your money, make your money work for you, but that's just another version of a golden cow. So instead of 
working for money. And I'm not talking about earning money, like working to make a living. I mean, you're a slave to what your financial situation is. I want to show you today that instead of being a slave to your financial situation, you can make money work for God instead. And that money can be a tool to bless instead of a cause for stress. So I want to give you both practical help and biblical principles today so that you leave today with next steps and a plan of action confident in obedience to God. This message, actually, I was laying in bed one night, not able to sleep, and I felt like God dropped this message in my heart. And this was before we were planning the You Asked For It series, but I knew it was coming up, so I made some notes and I tabled it for when we would come to this series. But it's something that at night I believe God put in my heart. And it might seem like too practical and not spiritual enough to be something from God, but God has a lot of practicals to say because he cares about our practical lives. So our first point today, I could start every single message I ever preach with this one first point, and that is number one, God first in all things. Now, many times, if this wasn't a message on money and you heard me say God first in all things, you'd be like, amen, hallelujah, center our lives around Jesus, put God first in everything, yada, yada. But then I say money and you're like, oh, no, 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 not my money, not my money. You don't think that. But when you look at your balance and your checkbook and your spending and where everything goes, it probably looks that way. Am I right? I've been there. I've been like, why am I spending so much money? Like my eating out budget is like huge, right? And, but then it's like, well, I want to help this person out who's in need, but I don't have any money because I door dashed to the wonderful potato wedges. You know what I'm saying? So whatever it is for you, it could be the shoes, it could be the car, it could be the kids and the grandkids, whatever it is for you. But we might be too uncomfortable to really say we think we put God first in everything, but when it comes down to it, he's not the first one we think about when we get the paycheck. And we need to change that if Jesus is really Lord of our lives, if Jesus is really the Lord of our lives. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And this is Jesus, or not Jesus, but this is God talking to his people. It says this, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? He says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Notice the first part of this passage is really harsh. But I'm just reading what the Bible says. I'm not making this up, right? But the first part is really harsh. But this second half, he says, stop cheating me. You've been under a curse. This is why the nation is in the straits it is. This is why your situation is in the dire straits it is. Because of you cheating me. But if you do what I've commanded you to do in regards to your financial situation, then what will happen? The Lord of heaven's army says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. How many times have we prayed, Lord, open the windows of heaven over my family, over my life, over my descendants, over my bloodline. I will pour out a blessing so great. You won't have enough room to take in all the blessing. Try it. Put me to the test. Fun fact, Bible trivia. This is the only part of the Bible where God says you can test him. This is the only, he doesn't even say you can. He tells you to do it. He's like, ah, 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 test me, test me, try me. I double dog dare you. Let's do it. See what I'm going to do. You might think it doesn't make sense, but see what I'm going to do. 
He says this, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight. He says there's not gonna be any waste. There's gonna be prosperity. There's gonna be abundance. There's going to be everything and more provided for, for you. Everything will be taken care of. But we've got to read that first part and apply that first part that feels harsh to get the second part. And too many times today in the American church, we want God's blessings, but not God or his way. And we don't get God's blessings without living his way. We follow Jesus and we live the way of Jesus because he showed us the best way to live because God wrote this Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit through people to show us the way to live so that we could receive his blessings and live the best life and have a life to the full. So the first thing is we've got to understand it's God's money, not ours. The whole paycheck, even what they take out before it gets to you. (laughs) It's all God's, right? It is all God's money. He owns it all. And he doesn't ask for us to just sign the check and turn it back over and give it over to him, right? He just has a 10% because he just wants us to trust him. It's a position of the heart that we trust God with what he gives us, with what he blesses us with. We got to understand it's God's money. If we don't understand it's God's money, we have money stress. If we don't understand it's God's money, we become prideful. If we don't understand it's God's money, we get too easily offended when the pastor preaches on money. If we don't understand it's God's money, we don't get the second part of this promise that he wants to give his people. Today, I want you to know money can be a tool of blessing in your life and blessing that you can give others if we don't stress or become prideful instead of a cause of stress in your life. I really believe today the Holy Spirit wants to show us that when our focus on money is on money, when our focus is on money, it's stealing our joy, it's stealing our goodness, it's stealing our peace, and it's stealing our faith in God. It's a position of the heart. What does God say is the root of all evil? Not money, but the love of it. When we've disordered our love and priority to a place above God, and he mentions it specifically with loving money, not specifically with loving anything else as the root of all evil. Look at all evil happening in your life. Is it possible? Ask the Holy Spirit, I don't know. Ask the Holy Spirit, is it possible that we've put our love of money or security, or safety, or what makes sense on paper above God? Is it possible? That's all I'm asking us to ask today. Is it possible? So what we need to do is plan with a budget. We're getting into the practicals. I know a lot of us were never taught how to budget. We really need personal finance in high school. Like seriously, I really wish they would teach personal finance, not just like writing a checkbook because I don't even use a checkbook anymore. But like, how do you decide where your money's going? What are some realistic good percentages to use? How does all of it work? We need to know how to plan to tell our money where to go instead of our money telling us what we can and can't do right? What the number in the check balance, the checking account is saying you can or can't do. However much cash we do or don't have is saying what you can or can't do. However much debt payments you have and bills you have coming in saying what you can and can't do. We want to tell our money where to go, not have our money tell us what we can and can't do because then it ends up backing us into a corner 
where there's not anything free to bless or free to give or any blessings that we are even experiencing. I sat, we sat down um, with someone in a struggle not too recently, and we talked about applying some of these principles. We talked with a couple different people about how to make a budget. What does it look like? Let's crunch the numbers. Let's get realistic. And with some of these people that we've talked to, as soon as they started applying these principles, they got a job. They lined up an apartment. Things started to fall into place. Tithe isn't something to hinder us and put commands and oppression on us. Tithe is something that unleashes God's blessings, not because we put in our share. Tithe is something that releases God's blessings because it shows in the physical world where our heart is. It shows in the physical world that in our heart, God is first and we trust him more. It shows a reflection of our heart towards God and the level of our trust in God. So many times we ask for prayers for God to heal our body and we trust him to heal our body, but we don't trust him to provide to pay for our bills. We don't trust him with our finances, but we trust him for our body or we trust him for salvations or we trust him for these other things. But again, uh, not the money. Don't trust you with that one. (laughs) Why is it that we can trust him to heal cancer, but not provide for us off 90% of our income? Why is it? And again, it's just another hard question to ask. And all I'm doing is asking you to go between you and God and ask him, why is it that I can trust you in this, but not on living 90% of my income instead? Just ask him. That's all I'm saying today. I said I started some of these principles when I was young. When I was like five years old, I got a birthday card from my Uncle Bud, and it had a $5 bill in it, right? I was at church that Sunday with my 50 cents, and I was like, oh, I get to give the offering today, and I was so excited because I had my little two quarters out rubbing. I get to tie 50 cents to church. I get to put something in the offering, and it was so exciting that I got to do that, and guess what? I still had $4.50, and when it's $5 and $4.50, it's not that big of a difference, but then we start adding zeros to the paychecks that come in the mail, right? And then all of a sudden, 10% of that does not feel like two little quarters rubbing together like an easy breezy thing. But what I'm saying is this, no matter how young you are, and parents know this too, instill the principles now, because now tithing is relatively easy for me because it always just comes out as soon as my paycheck comes in, 10% automatically comes out. I never even see it. It's God's anyway, and I'm blessed to live off the 90, and God makes the 90 work a lot better than the 100. He makes the 90 work a lot better than the 100, and I've been tithing my whole life. Like I've said, we've lived below poverty line. We've had times of unemployment where not much of anything was coming in. We've had big, huge bills come up or big, huge problems come up. God has provided every time, and every single time we've given the 10 and lived off the 90, and we've made it. He provides. His math works better than ours because we fix our eyes on what is not seen. We trust in what we do not see. That's living in faith. So I would get my $5 birthday money, tithe 50 cents. I'd get $1 for a chore and tithe 10 cents, right? I would always do this. I started young. We do this with our kids, which Zay is the only one who really gets any money right now. Moxie's a little too young for it. But we tithe. I wasn't allowed to get a job in high school. Um, unless I was going to tithe 10%, and then I had to save 50% of the rest of it. That's what my parents made me do if I was going to work. They were like, being a student is your full-time job, is what they would say to me. Sorry, mom and dad, you're probably going to listen to that later. I didn't mean to give you a voice. No disrespect. I'm very thankful for the lesson. But 10% 
always gave, and I could not work and earn a paycheck if I didn't give 10% and save 50%. 50% of the 90% that was left over. I don't think they made me do Anyway, you get the point. So I ended up having those principles instilled in me at a young age. So number one, God first in all things all things. It helps to build our faith, not steal it. Number two, steward God's gift. Number two, steward God's gift. So in, we hear, if you've been in church for very long at all, you've probably heard this term steward. And we're going to go into the main Bible story that it comes from in a little bit. But stewarding in biblical times didn't mean that you made the big decisions. Stewarding in biblical times was a manager of the decisions that have already been made. And it was their job to carry out those decisions. So when we say the already God's, we admit that he has already made the decisions on what should happen with the money, right? And these are some of the principles that we're getting into. Not just the stuff I went over in point one, there's other things besides giving the tithe that he lays out as principles that we should do with it. So he gives us his money. We give 10% because we're good stewards. Then what do we do with the 90% to also be good stewards and receive his blessing? Well, um, I want to talk to you about the four walls This is a principle by Dave Ramsey or Ramsey Solutions. They do Financial Peace University. They've been doing it for years. They've seen tons of people pay down hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt um, to be able to do this. But he always talks about even before you pay off the debt, even before you pay certain bills or do certain things, you want these four walls covered. So when you start your budget, when you go home today, you're going to make sure you're telling your money to go to these four walls first. Number one, food. And I'm not talking about DoorDash with the tip and the delivery fee for the potato wedges that I can make in my own kitchen, right? That's not really what I'm talking about. But make sure you have food to eat, right? So you want food. Number two is shelter. So you're going to pay for your rent or your mortgage. You're going to buy food. You're going to pay for your rent or your mortgage. Next is utilities. You're going to make sure your power and your water stay on. Uh, Internet is not utilities, Cable is not utilities. All your Netflix and Hulu and everything subscriptions are not utilities. Those are luxuries. Utilities is you can take a shower and you can keep your lights on. Those are your utilities. Okay, so we got food, shelter, utilities, and then transportation. Make sure you can get to the job that writes your paycheck. Make sure that you can get your kids to school so you don't have the truancy people all over your back, right? These are the four walls. So we give our 10% because we trust God and we put him first in all things. Then we put our money towards these four things. Those are our basic needs that we need covered. This is how you start your budget. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now again, I know that everyone's in different situations and there are certain times where we can't necessarily be the provider of the home or we opt not to be the provider of the home, but we have someone else or the Lord providing for us. But if we can and we choose not to provide um, when it's not being provided for or when we put other things like vacations above food, shelter, utilities, and transportation, like, oh, I need someone to help me pay my light bill, but I'm going to the Bahamas next week. (laughs) Like, whoa, okay, I'm not helping pay that light bill. You can cancel that trip and pay for your own light bill. You know what I'm saying? So we gotta put these things in order. We've gotta put these things and prioritize them correctly um, because when we don't prioritize them in the right way, It says we not only don't have faith in God, but we've denied it. 
So we want to plan, we want to prioritize, and then we trust God for the rest. Jesus taught us to pray. One of his main bullet points for what to pray is, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need, but daily bread, not bread for a lifetime supply. Give us just enough that we need it for today. And he did this principle in real life when the Israelites were in the wilderness. He gave them manna and said, you can't collect more than a day's worth because it would rot and it would get rotten. But you know what? When there was Sabbath and you were supposed to rest on the seventh day, that day before, he gave two days worth. He gives you just enough that you need to live the way he wants you to live. And when we steward it well, trusting that he will provide just enough when we're taking care, when we're putting him first, taking care of what we need to take care of, then he will provide for what we need to get the rest of what uh, we're, we need to have. He is our provider. The next little kind of sub point under this is don't choose slavery. I don't want you guys to choose slavery. And this is where that idea comes from. Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower is servant to the lender. This is talking about debt. If you're in debt, and you know this, if you've ever had debt or you're in it, you're a slave to that debtor. Maybe collections is calling you like crazy. Maybe you're just sick of the bill. Maybe you can't even make the minimum payments, and it keeps going up and up. Maybe you are making the minimum payments, but that interest rate is getting so big that you don't know if you'll ever be able to pay it off, because even with the minimum, the bottom dollar is getting bigger and bigger as you grow. It feels like you are shackled. And all that money you're putting towards that debt is money you could be spending on vacations or spending on your grandkids or whatever it is, buying the shoes. Go get them shoes if you have the money for it. I am all for it. I never pay more than like $20 or $30 for shoes because it just don't make sense to me to spend more than that for shoes. But I have my other things like potato wedges. So anyway, Proverbs 22.7, the borrower is slave to the lender. Our focus on money is stealing our joy. It's stealing our goodness. It's stealing our peace. It's stealing our faith. The debt we are in is stealing our joy. It can steal our goodness. It can steal our peace, and it can steal our faith if we let it. And God doesn't want that for us. Now, it's important saying don't go into debt is not a command in the Bible, but this is a wisdom principle that he offers us, that when you choose to go into debt, you are choosing a certain yoke of slavery. It doesn't mean that we're not going to heaven. It doesn't mean we're sinning necessarily. But my encouragement to you today is don't choose slavery. If you don't have to choose it, and the wisdom principle from the Bible is not to, don't choose slavery. So we can choose to get out of it at that point. And I'm not going to go into all of the details on the practicals of getting out of debt. My husband and I have gotten out of debt, and we've remained out of debt for probably, I want to say, seven or eight years. We've been debt-free with all of the ups and downs that have gone on after we paid off student loans. Um, and we buy cash for our wonderful little crappy cars. They're not pretty, but they get you from point A to point B. And I don't ever feel unsafe. You know, I don't feel unsafe. So we are able to live completely debt-free. And all the money that would be going on whatever size income that we have that in the ministry is just not always lots and lots of zeros at the end. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that it, we're still able to have extra to 
to give and we're able to give to God above our tithe. We give our 10% and we give a certain percentage above that that we believe God's called us to that we probably wouldn't be able to do if it was going to a million subscriptions or a ton of debt. And we're able to do that and we are so grateful that the Lord's provided for us in that way. But it took time to figure it out and to get out of the debt. It took extra work. Kyle would come home from his day job, which was working at a church at the time, and then he'd go pizza deliver for the rest of the night and come home with leftover pizza. So we had a lot of... And we would eat rice and beans and beans and rice and ramen and pasta and all the cheap stuff, right? And we paid down that debt quick and we didn't go out to eat hardly ever. Maybe that's why I've slingshot the other direction. But we didn't buy on clothes. We went thrift shopping or hand-me-downs. I have friends who still send me hand-me-downs. I'm like, I'm not paying off debt anymore, but thanks. I appreciate it. More money for me. But We don't want to spend money we don't have. And essentially, debt is spending money that you don't have. It's spending money God hasn't given you, and God's not responsible for the bills that he didn't initiate. He is our provider, but he is not responsible for what he doesn't initiate. He didn't say, man, you really are mandated to have a Hulu account, and I'm just going to make sure that I provide that need for you. No, he provides our every need. He provides daily bread, and he wants to give us blessings above and beyond. But we've got to steward what he's given us, and then he can bless us above and beyond. So we want to steward it. Debt is normal in our culture. It is. And, you know, like I said, we've been in debt too, and we work to get out of it. But debt isn't normal because it's healthy. Debt isn't normal because it's the right thing to do. Debt is normal because of our society. We're called to live upside down as Christians. We're called to live countercultural. And for just a minute, think about the amazing story it would be if you were able to say, I got out of this amount of debt and now I have this amount of freed up money that can go to give or to have great Christmases where I don't have to put it on layaway or I don't have to go into debt on my credit card for Christmas or that I can help pay for my um, aging grandparent who is struggling and needs the care and I can help them extra or I can send care packages to this person or I can support missionaries or whatever it is, you have that much more money. That's freedom, freedom from it. And God wants to help you with that. God wants to see you free. And we're called to live upside down. We're called to live countercultural. You know how many times I've had even good godly Christian friends push back on me saying I really need to get a credit card? We haven't had credit cards the whole time we've been out of debt and before that because I'm not gonna play. Even if you pay it off at the end of every month, I'm not gonna play and accidentally order too many potato wedges and then be like, oh, the mortgage came out. You know, and then you're in debt and then it builds up and then it inflates like crazy with that interest and you're back in a hole. Just chopped up them credit cards. Sometimes we even, at one point when we were paying off debt, we got a coffee can, we filled it with water, we put the debit card in it and we froze it in the freezer. So we couldn't even spend our debit card. You got to get intense about this because I don't want to be a slave and I don't want you to be slaves. God is the God who brings us out of Egyptian slavery. Egyptian, in the Bible, Egypt is a picture of the world and the world's ways and it enslaves his people. And the world's ways is to have the best credit score and to have a credit card and get all those extra points for all those extra miles and vacations, but you can't even afford the vacations because you're paying so much on the debt. That's the world's way. 
But God wants us free of Egyptian slavery. He doesn't want us slave to the ways of this world anymore. And there is freedom and there is hope. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by the world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. Basically, he's saying, if you think this is wise then I need you to fool yourself down a little bit because then you're actually wise. It's that upside down that we see all throughout the Bible, especially when Jesus comes and he's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about, no, do this. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. He's saying all this backward stuff that we're supposed to do that makes no sense according to the world. Money does not have to rule over you. It does not have to rule over you like it rules over everyone else. We're called to live set apart, and through Jesus, we can. Money can be a tool to bless instead of a cause of stress. So number two was to steward God's gift. Number three is to receive blessing to be generous. Receive blessing to be generous. So another little practical thing here. We talked about the four walls. We talked about what tithe is and why we do that. To fill out the rest of your budget, what I would say is you got your give, your save, and your spend. These are your three categories, and my son will know this one well because we have him do your give, your save, and your spend as well. So he gets to choose. We do the automatic 10%. You're not getting paid if you're not giving 10%. But from that, you get to choose what you put in your save and what you put in your spend. For my parents, you put 50% in spend. That was mandated. (laughs) And we put 50% in spend. But you always want to, with your budgets even now, your give, right, your 10% off the top, then what are you going to, then your four walls are covered, then from there, what are you saving, what are you spending on? Do I have enough room for the Hulu subscription? I'm not really knocking on Hulu, I don't hate it that bad, it's probably like $2.99 or something like that, I don't know, $19.99, something like that. Oh, way more? Okay. Well, anyway, I don't know. Um, I'm a moocher, so I kind of mooch off other people's accounts. I don't pay for the subscription. Sorry, should I not have said that on a recording online? Anyway, (laughs) I don't do that. Um, So, oh, now we've gotten me veered off. So give, save, and spend. Number one, we give because God is generous. So why do we do give, save, spend? We give because God is a generous God. We are made in his image and we are called to look like him. I'm about to read a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and this is talking specifically about offerings above the tithe. So this one's not talking specifically about the tithe. We've already talked about that today. I'm not talking about that anymore. But in 2 Corinthians, it talks about our offerings that go above and beyond. So like I said, my family ties, and then we've also decided that we feel there's a certain percentage of our income that we like to give above the tithe. This is kind of what he's talking about. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I would like to submit to you that if you feel like I'm pressuring you today to line up your budget in a certain way, that maybe that's actually the Holy Spirit giving you a little elbow, that maybe it's something that you need to work on. Because I hope what you're hearing from me is what I've said multiple times already. I'm suggesting this to you. You asked for it. These are the practicals. This is what the Bible says. And I'm just asking you to get between you and God and ask God what's going on. So if you're feeling any pressure, I would submit to you that the Holy Spirit might be in like, hey, yeah, let's get together and talk about this. Huh? Huh? 
because the Holy Spirit likes to do that. He likes to be like, hey, hey, hey. So um, it says, God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So we give because God is generous. We give what we worked between him and our hearts to give, and we give it cheerfully. Then we save because we're called to be wise. We're called to be wise. I don't have any specific verses to go over here, but just read the book of Proverbs, Google anything about wisdom that you want for Bible verses, and it is all over the place. We are called to live wise. And then finally, our extra comes from good stewardship. So our extra, I'm going to say, is what we pay beyond the tithe and the four walls. What we pay beyond the tithe and the four walls, then what's beyond what we're saving to plan for the future or save up for when the HVAC breaks and it's a million dollars to fix, right? What, aside from what we're planning and what we're prepared for, all of our extra comes from good stewardship, Again, the biblical steward wasn't about making the big decisions. It was about managing and carrying out the big decisions that were already made by the steward's master. If God is our master, we trust that he's made the decisions he wants to happen with the money that belongs to him. And he's given the money to us as stewards. And so we are called to manage it well, to use wisdom, to put him first, to plan ahead, to make sure the needs of our family are covered because when he gives us that money, he is covering for our needs. He is providing for our needs to make things done when the decisions he's made have already been made. I mentioned I'd talk about the Bible story Jesus gave us when talking about stewardship. So we're gonna read that together right now. If you're able to in your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 25. It's a little bit of a longer passage. It will be on the screen, I believe, but I'd love for you to read it along with me in your own Bible if you have it. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. And this is often called the parable of the good steward or the parable of talents. Talents was the type of money that they were using at the time. Jesus says this, again, He's talking about kingdom of heaven in upside down ways, like he does. Again, the kingdom of heaven, the way God wants us to live, heaven on earth, can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants, that he is wanting to be stewards, and entrusted his money to them. He gave them money. He wrote them a paycheck of his money to be stewarded well. While he was gone, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. So he gave them what he trusted they could handle, what they were able and capable of handling, right? So whatever he's given you, he trusts that you are able to steward it, to manage it, to handle it. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more bags. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. They've both doubled it because they went to work or they invested or they saved, they planned wisely. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used the money. Hear this, God was there. The master is a picture of God. He left and then he came back. We don't talk about it enough in church, but Jesus is coming back. And it's an exciting thing. But when he does, he's going to ask us to give an account of what we did with all the blessings he gave us. If God is first in all things, we also 
want to know that he has given us all things. And with all the things he's given us, how have we managed and stewarded it? The servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount. So now, and he had the most, you've been faithful in handling the small amount. And now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. He's saying this about God. We like to talk about God's loving and caring and compassion. He's all that too, but he's harsh when he needs to be, like a good parent, right? In harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Anyone know how much money credit card companies make? Debt collectors make? Universities make off student loans? Government makes off student loans? The money's been taken from us or we freely handed it and someone else is getting rich off of our money. But from those who do, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But for them who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The truth is, that's again a harsh ending. Started harsh and ending harsh. So sorry about that. But Jesus is out for your good. That's why he gave us all these principles because he's like, I made all of creation. So I kind of know how it works. These are the principles to live by. Will you please live by them? He's not gonna force us because he wants free will. He wants us to have free will. He wants us to choose to love him. He wants us to choose the good life, but we can't just want his promises without do living the way that he's told us to live. And so he is out for our good. There was a song that was playing during morning prayer and it said, if I know my father, I know my father gives good gifts. So I will live in the desert and I will live on the mountain. We'll be with him through the highs and the lows, but he gives good things. And he, the fact that he gives us these principles, these instructions, the fact that he talks about money as much as he does, is saying he cares about us. He knows it's a concern we have. He knows it's something we stress about, we fear about. He knows it's something that the enemy wants to use to disorder our loves so that he can steal our joy and our faith. So that he can steal our goodness and our trust in God. But Jesus is out for our good. He didn't give us these directions to stifle us, but to allow blessing. We can't choose the promises of God without Jesus in his way. So God first in all things, steward his gift and then receive blessings to be generous. Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear. The pagans worry about these things. You're called to live different. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
All that really matters. When it comes to this topic, all that really matters is faithfulness to the way of Jesus. All that really matters is faithfulness to his way and eternity. Many times when he's talking about money, he also brings up eternity. And I just want that to say nothing more than we need to look at everything we do in life and particularly in this topic through the lens of eternity. Do I really need the potato wedges now for my eternal future to be secure? No. (laughs) Can I invest in something that's going to be even larger return on investment in the kingdom of God later? That's why we have this legacy wall out there. That's why we call it legacy. What's going to be here when I'm dead and gone that victory faith has already invested into that's left a legacy that we're able to send out ministry and do ministry for our community. Philippians 4, 11 through 12, Paul says, not that I was ever in need for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I now know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret to contentment. Anyone want to be content? Just content, like you'll set up for content. I've learned the secret to living in every situation, to contentment, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And the next verse is 413 that we've taken and used in such a wimpy way so many times. But he's talking about the secret to living in contentment is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can live in whatever economic situation I find myself in because that's what he was talking about. He was talking about his financial situation when he said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He wasn't talking about making a touchdown. He wasn't talking about his team winning. He wasn't talking about being a high performance athlete. He wasn't talking about that. Talks about that in other areas, but he does. He uses athletes a lot. In this, he was talking about his financial situation and living in contentment, no matter the situation, the secret to it, the key to it is I can do all things. I can exercise self-control and not order the potato wedges right when I want them. I can. I can do all things. I can pay off mounds of debt. I can freeze my debit card in the freezer in a coffee can. I can cut up the credit cards. I can pay down the debt. I can go above my minimum payment. I can work a little harder. I can save a little more. I can find really good recipes on Pinterest for rice and beans. I have, I have some good ones, guys. I can do all things through Christ. I can live on 90% of what God gives me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God just wants us today The simple response to this message today is to trust him. It's easier said than done, but it is simple. Maybe not easy, but simple. Trust him. Be faithful. Decide to store up treasures in heaven. It says, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. If you can break down where you put your earthly treasure, what does it show that your heart goes to? Where does it show your heart is? Matthew 6, 9 through 19 through 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much 
that you are a good father who gives good gifts and wants good things for his children. That like a good father, you have taught us a way to handle this because you knew money and finances. You knew it was going to end up causing divorce. You knew it was going to cause pain. You knew it was going to cause stress and anxiety and fear and debt and slavery to this world and its systems. And so you laid out a plan all through Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere. He said, the, this is the path that gets you the best life that God has for you. And you know better than anyone because you created us. You know what stresses us out and you know the secret to contentment and you know what the full life is that you wanna give us. So today I just pray that each and every one of us, whatever it is that perked our ears up, whatever it is that felt like an offense, whatever it is that felt like the Holy Spirit just nudging us a little, like, hey, let's go talk about this later. Whatever that is, I pray that we would, with the strength of Christ who lives in me, be able to submit it to you and follow your way and follow your path. Because when we follow your path, you lead us through the parted sea, out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. But we've got to be willing to go there. We've got to be willing to go through it. We've got to be willing to escape instead of going and making more and more golden cows. So please, God, help us to change our way. We repent when we haven't trusted in you. We repent when we say God is first in my life, but not in my money. We repent when we've said God is first in my life, but not in whatever the other issue may be. We repent of the times where we've made financial decisions based off of fear. We repent when we've prioritized security over our priority of you. And we pray today that you would change our minds, renew our minds to your pattern of living, not to Anna's pattern of living, not to Dave Ramsey's pattern of living, but to your pattern of living, Jesus. That you would conform us into your likeness. You made us to look like you. Help us to continue to look like you in every single way. That we would overcome our own selfishness, our own need for instant gratification. That we would overcome the temptations of the world that's put before us, the way of the world, that it feels weird to not live that way. That we would overcome the temptations of Satan when he says, but did God really say that? Are you really sure that's what he meant by that? That Bible verse the pastor read earlier, eh, I don't know if that's what it really said. This over here looks good. Holy Spirit, give us discernment to hear your will, your word, your way, and to follow it, trusting that you will lead us into the promised land, overflowing with more than just provision, but with blessing that we can experience, that our family can experience, that generations can experience, that the world around us, we can give those blessings to. We thank you so much for your provision in everything, your provision of wisdom, your provision in it all, Lord God. With everyone's head still bowed and eyes still closed, maybe that God first in all things struck a different note than you. You know it doesn't just have to do with money. It's that you never actually put him first in anything. And if that's you today, we want to give you an opportunity to make a decision, to make him the Lord of your life, the king of your life. That means he is first in everything. That means he's made the decisions and you're choosing to be a steward of all the blessings, not just financial, all the blessings he's given you, this life that he's given you, you're gonna choose to give your life over to him. And if that's you today and you wanna make him the Lord of your life, on the count of three, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to answer that call the Holy Spirit's calling you to with just a raised hand. We're not gonna call you out. We're not gonna ask you to come to the front, but with just a raised hand so that 
your whole body, your whole being acts in obedience to that. On the count of three, one, two, three. Go ahead and raise that hand if that's you. You want to act in obedience to God. Amen. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Church, can we all join together in a prayer of dedicating our lives to the Lord today? Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I've sinned. I don't want to be separate from you. I want to be close to you. Forgive me for disobeying you, for not listening to you. Today, I invite you to be the king of my life. Show me the way. Give me the power to change. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate with those who are giving their lives to the Lord today. Best decision you'll ever make. Easiest decision you'll ever make. But it'll be a long road. But we're here with you for the journey. So if you made that decision today, whether you raised your hand or you didn't make it to the hand up, but you made that decision in your heart, take that connection card. Let us know you made that decision because we want to be there for you, walking these next steps with you. That's our best way to know how we can follow up with you and make sure uh, that you're on this road and this path to the way of Jesus with people that are also on the same path with you. Um, You can always fill out that connection card with whatever, any decisions anyone's made today. There's places to put that, prayer requests, updated information. Drop it in the offering box on your way out. Take it to me at the hub. I'll be there after service. If you need prayer today, our prayer team is here for you. If you want to stand in prayer for someone else who you know needs prayer but isn't here today, our prayer team's there for you. If you want to celebrate with answered prayer, our prayer team's there for you. If this message was really overwhelmed and you're like, I'm never getting out of debt. I don't know what she's talking about. Our prayer team's there for you. If you cannot say no to the potato wedges from Buffalo 61, our prayer team's there for you. Go get prayer today. Take advantage of any opportunity you have to pray with others and receive prayer with others. So we would love for you to join in that. We're going to close our time together today with just a song of worship together that no matter what, the highs and lows, Jesus is worthy of it all.